Welcome to the Donmar on Design podcast series. I'm David Jays and this is our opportunity to talk in depth with some of the UK's leading theatre designers. Donmar on Design is a festival celebrating the power of design in theatre and the designers who make it happen. Mr Tomscott, how very nice it is. Um, to be here in the little Donmar music room. An incredibly hot room. Very, very hot. But cozy, we're in cosy chairs. We're surrounded by other blue metal chairs in a rather alarming sea. It's like a very nice installation in here. <laughs> exactly so. I'm just trying to work out what production <laughs> will be happening. Most, most productions, lots yeah. of chairs. Hedda yeah. Gabler yeah. with more chairs than you could ever imagine. <laughs> but um, I've also been thinking of other kind of places that, that and environments that make me happy and one of them that I have been returning to today is another time another place um, a post 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 apocalyptic American future in oh. which we are seeing <laughs> a mad unexpected operatic passion play ritual retelling of The Simpsons because and and it's the Simpsons, but not like we know it, because it's in the future and and elements of the um, of uh, those mm. characters have been kind of carried through, distorted, reinterpreted, and instead of yellow faces, they now have these kind of burnished gold faces, and Margie's hair is now <laughs> a tower of bright blue feathers, and Lisa has the little red. Um, Dorothy shoes yeah. from Wizard of yeah, Oz yeah. and it's um, <laughs> the lighting is this deep electric greens mm. and golds and there's blue and the, the colours are intense and the sounds are weird <laughs> and the whole thing is utterly utterly beguilingly mad, it's the set that you designed for the finale of Mr Burns played by um, Annie Washburn at the um, Almeida a few years ago mm. and I've remember still coming back after the interval to that final act not knowing at all what to expect and my jaw just <laughs> dropping with the utter delirious joyous bonkersness of it all and everybody I know who saw that production um, it didn't mm. get it wasn't I think it's fair to say you're one of the few people that came back after but, the second interval <laughs> But the people who came back, you know, the, 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 yeah. the people who love it really love it, and we all kind of yeah. gather yeah. every so often like, in a little kind yeah. of cultish kind of way to share our joy that that was allowed to happen. Mm. So, thank you very much, Tom, for designing one of my fever dreams and oh, <laughs> that oh. I cherish. <laughs> that, so that's not something, well, that's where my head is, yeah. frankly. Yeah. What, your head, Tom, today. Yeah. What, what's you know? What are you looking at? What are you? What are you thinking about? What's your kind of mood board of this very mind? day? Yeah. Um, this very day uh, is the beginning of rehearsals for Belleville by Amy Herzog at the Donmar. Um, so I've been uh, doing that this morning and was here for the read through and the model presentation. But also, I've just finished The Lady from the Sea. So it's a strange sort of end of one thing, beginning of another in the same place, whilst also looking forward to the festival, which will be in a week from now. Yeah. Um, so I'm in one building, but I have 
several heads <laughs> appearing <laughs> on my shoulders. Um, it's quite rare for a British designer to have a home like this. I suppose I think, so. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how has that been? Has it made any difference to the way you work and the way yeah, you it's, Yeah, I mean, not necessarily to the way I work, but um, I think that it's, on a personal level, it's really um, interesting to see the inner workings of a building. And I think I've always been interested in that and found it um, very important um, to to try as much as possible to inform the people that you work with on a daily basis about how designers operate. Um, so it's sort of like completing that conversation, um, which often only goes one way when you are employed by a company for a, a, a short period. Um, that you can have the opportunity to feedback and for then the company to react and change and uh, and you watch that sort of grow and and that conversation becomes richer and richer the, the deeper the relationship you have with that company. Um, I, I was affiliated with Soho Theatre and then the Nuffield Theatre in Southampton and, and now the Donmar and I've, I just I find it really rewarding um, to to, to meet as many people as possible that are involved at every step of the process of making a piece of work. Um, and it's obviously, you know, it's, it's lovely to, to, to be able to be designing in the same space again and again and to, to find out its strengths and its weaknesses, if there are any, and, um, and to have the opportunity to sort of just keep changing and just transform in a way that I think that is maybe more difficult for people at other elements of the of the of the production, especially the writer, but you know, the actors or, or the director. I think that um, people are less forgiving when it comes to sort of the the kind of chameleon effect, or the sort of like changing of of one's output from show to show. And I think with design it's encouraged in a way yeah and so it's nice to sort of have that opportunity and part of, of the, as you've already mentioned one of the projects you're, you're doing here at the Donmar is this fantastic design festival mm. which will as well as these podcasts include panel discussions they're going to be workshops it's going to be very much a kind of opening the world of design both to people who are in it, just thinking about entering it, but also people like me, theatre goers, who you know mm. perhaps have not paid as much attention as we should. <laughs> I, think you've, I think you've paid more attention than most. I think you get a gold star. Okay. <laughs> I have small action figures. Mr. Of my favourite designer. Face. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Could I? Could, yeah. <laughs> for the benefit of just the tape, I'm bouncing yeah. up and down yeah. in my chair. <laughs> but well, one one of the things I thought was before we kind of talk more about you, Tom, is um, just that as you, as you think about the world of British design for this festival, what is it like as a, as a, as a world, not so mm. much in terms of the, the, the quality of the work that's being done and the kind of work, but as, a, as an experience for, for designers, is it a kind of world for designers? Is it a right. nurturing one? How does, how, what's your sense? Um. I, the only sense I have is my sense, and I think that's potentially what is wrong with it. Um, 
which is that you you have a relatively singular experience from the minute that you are booted out of out of higher education um, and that door is shut and you are sent with your stick with your knotted handkerchief on the end of it and maybe a cat and you head to London um, and you th- that's sort of it and I mean, obviously, one can assist designers, which some people do for many years with the intention of them becoming a designer. Some people like to go and assist and with the intention of that's what they do and that's what they're going to keep doing. But um, I think I was someone that didn't have a lot of assistant experience in my formative years outside of uh, college. And kind of went straight straight into it and I, I, I you can only learn from you from fucking it up on on stage and just and and doing it yourself and having your own experience and it can be quite scary because you really are just being led by yourself mm. um and there have been times where i wish i had more people to to turn to to so just to check whether you're in the right place like doing the right thing I mean because I, you just have no idea um, and so the encroaching sort of fear and paranoia and doubt of like I have no idea if I'm doing this properly or I have no idea if this is how other people do this it, it gets really quite big um, I think until I began these conversations I hadn't realised what um, in a way an isolated sort of how isolated that role is. Have other people said that as well? Yeah, oh, good. it's not okay. just you. I, I kind of assumed, I don't know why I assumed you all got to be designers got together in <laughs> lovely evenings of Model what, de- yeah. decorating what Painting boxes. each other's faces. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. All about <laughs> braiding each other's hair in <laughs> yet more elaborate ways. Um, but it's become very clear that, that, that exactly that sense you described, that you are the only person doing this particular kind of work on a production mm. that you rarely get to to see other designers at work. For sure. And then it sort of explodes as you get as as the design is submitted and you are absolutely everywhere. And you are visiting the set builders and the and costume makers and having costume shots with the actors and being in rehearsals and talking to marketing and and it's a strange culture shock. It's sort of like just going from one extreme to the other. Um, and I think there are several pitfalls in that sort of process that can be both isolating and and uh, and make you quite sort of um, neurotic, and then and then sort of feeling quite sort of exposed and and having a lot of people suddenly very aware of your work. And um, it's. You know, it's it's. I don't think there's any other way of doing the, the the process because you need to have your own time and you need to be on your your own when you're designing and um, and that solitude, I suppose, is it shouldn't really be looked at as a negative thing. It's an it's an essential part of the of the process. You need to be in your own dream world, um, which is which is vital. Um, it's just knowing that there are other people in their own bubbles elsewhere and sort of doing the same thing. It's, 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 it's just having that kind of support. Yeah. And so I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that the, I, that, the, that the 
design world in the UK or especially London is unsupportive or um, uncharitable, I would just say that we are a community of generally quite nice, <laughs> strange um, humans that are, have their own particular ways and like to just to do their own thing but, and, and are there if they if they, you want to have those conversations like we are there to bridge those gaps but but it it doesn't often happen because there is no forum in which we can all you know congregate yeah and there was a strange moment well it wasn't strange it was just wonderful we had a i did a few steering groups before the um before we started to program the festival to sort of you know, bend people's ears and sort of pick people's brains about um, how we were going to program it and what we were going to put in and what people would like to see change. And and we had about 10, 11 of us uh, got together, um, designers of varying levels of experience, and just shared and just sort of sat and, and, and scrawled all over post-it notes and made a very wonderfully multicoloured mood board um, of ideas and... and and things to protest against and, and things that we wanted to see change and things that we loved. Mm. And just doing that was immensely therapeutic mm. and it didn't matter that, that there were no outcomes needed necessarily. Yeah. I mean, there are, but, but, but the, just the very fact that we threw a sort of a ball into the pitch, whatever the... Uh, analogy would be um, <laughs> the, uh, the, just the fact that we were all there to, to do it and have lunch together and chat and, yeah. and everybody went away feeling like they were part of something which we hadn't felt before mm-hmm. really um, so I wanted to sort of primarily you know do this festival to, to sort of find a sense of that mm-hmm. to um, make it clearer to, to young designers or, or or people that are thinking of going into design that there is a group of people out there that will um, be there to, to have discussions with um, but also to um, to share with people outside of that and just in, in terms of audience or, 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 or people who are involved in critical thinking about how design works and what what goes on and also for myself, just find out whatever how everybody else does it, <laughs> so we can go. All oh, right, you do that. Okay, now is not the time to find out that you've been doing it wrong. <laughs> Don't do it wrong all this time. Exactly. So look, Tom, you've and I should have perhaps said before you know, people will know, but just in case, you've worked at the National and the RSC. You've worked in the West End and Broadway. You've done opera and musical. I'm running out of pairs things <laughs> that you've done but you've done a lot of things sometimes not in pairs yeah. um, a, a, a whole range of work and, and one, one of the things you asked um, all the designers taking part in these conversations to do is, is come in with three objects or images mm. that reflect different stages of, of, of um, a designer's career and formation something uh, related mm. to a production you really cherish something related to a place that means something to you, that, it, that mm. speaks to you. And, and, and let us begin with something from the early part of your career and your training, something that, that mm. you made or discovered early on. Mr. Tomsky, what <laughs> have you brought? <laughs> well, this is the biggest irony of, of, of this entire process, is that 
I woke up this morning and I was like, oh crap, I have my <laughs> things. Uh, you said I've spent homework, but you months do getting homework. everybody to sort of pull themselves together and bring it themselves, and I'd actually failed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I actually bought too many things for this uh, this this part of it. I, I think I'm going to choose this one. Um, I went home to my mum and dad's house actually uh, a f- uh, last week and sort of filtered through all my old sketchbooks. And this is one, two little sort of note pads bound together with some shabby masking tape um, from my um, art foundation course, which I did at the University of Gloucester in Ch- Gloucestershire in Cheltenham. And they're absolutely crammed with writing, with images, found images, I suppose, and your own sketches yeah. and your own drawings. They're, they're, yeah. they're postcards and photos stuck in there. They're filled to bursting. Yeah, and a, a lot of writing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is sort of, this became quite indicative of the way that I work. Um, tons of writing, actually, mm. and qu- quotations and, and research and I actually then it reminded me of when I was part of the Limbury Prize and I was really struggling to find direction midway through that process and I and I remember writing uh, an essay for uh, Rupert Gould and Ben Power to to dissect to help me unpack my thinking for the next part of the process and I think that was for them and for me a turning point in the process and it was actually very true to how I how I need to, how I need to process things. I sort of write quite a lot, um, but what's also um, noticeable in in these books is that this was from a time when one would spend e- every day for maybe three or four weeks working on one project, yeah. and um, had time to work on a visual diary and to go to places and to be inspired and to and to sketch quickly or, or as intricately in detail as one likes because one has that time to um, to do it. And there's some really funny stuff in here. I mean, this is this was for a specific installation that I did for my end-of-year project. And what was it? Um, just as you flick uh, through the pages, I can't well, it's also in a, This is also <laughs> from a day where there was no real sort of... like. This is just like photos that have been produced at Boots and sort of like stuck into my pad and things have really progressed you know, <laughs> in terms of what can one can achieve on a computer these yeah. days but it was a um, it ended up being a kind of corridor that I, I, I manufactured inside the studio that we were working in and um, it was an L shaped corridor so one could see light round the corner at the end of the corridor and sound um, but one couldn't reach that corner from inside because it was full of stuff on the floor, so you heard a, you heard sounds and saw a light round the corner, but you never you never knew what it was. Um, so this was already a signalling point for me about um, how space and items and even clothing actually, but can can imbue uh, you know character mm. and atmosphere. And there was a sleeping bag on top yeah. of it, as if someone lived there and then I put all my process and my workings out on the outside of the corridor so um, uh, I guess it's a sort of like Ilya Kabakov sort of inspired um, um, installation 
but the process to get there was sort of you know so um, indulgent and lengthy <laughs> and where is this thing is this really funny so I was got really obsessed with how there was no silence there was always there was always something there was no <laughs> silence and uh, I <laughs> recorded there's some strange process whereby I put I used to be able to sort of record sound through the headphones of your mini disc player oh, there's so much old technology really you're mentioning here you know, it's, it feels as if you're talking about Victorian age when you did your training yeah. you have to remember how yeah. it's actually quite recent actual camera film and mini discs um, and I put the headphones into a jar and I recorded the sound of nothing inside the jar which obviously was the, had that effect of sounding like the sea and then I found a fly and the fly was in the jar and it was buzzing around and then I did this thing where like it was when Channel Four, I think, were t- were dramatizing, uh, televising the um, complete works of Beckett, mm. and there was a Godot, and so that was on TV, and I was recording the sound the sound of Godot through the headphones through the jar. I mean, it's the most wanky, stupid thing. Like, Ooh, what is this, this theatre? Um, but I just, I just sort of love the the how how much one could get lost in these mm. projects and. You know, here's here's a page on drawing sound and what that sound looks like in physical form, drawing it, and oh, wow. I got quite interested in sound. Um, and I, and I, and you know, on one level, it's sort of it's a, it's a slight sort of mournful look back mm-hmm. at, the, at the at days when you could really indulge in these things. Yeah. But in another, it's a, it's a sort of celebration of how much you realise. Like all this thinking still goes on in one's head as a designer now. Like it's still, it's all still there. It's just the shorthand is so extreme yeah. that you don't realise it's it's happening. And do you have a, a a sense now of the the kind of research and the kind of thinking you need to do for a project when you've only got a week rather than three? To, to no, no. Well, not um, not really. <laughs> I mean, I, I just. I'm just really aware and always have been that each each project could and should be something in which there's a possibility for a completely new way of thinking mm-hmm. and that it can lead you down all sorts of um, all, all sorts of paths. I don't really think there's any methodology. Of course there's a basic methodology of initial ideas, research, you know, research boards, um, rough model, some 3D work on a computer, and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a sort of skeleton of how it goes. But more and more I find that there's a real sort of um, diverse approach to... You got, I mean, you can't really... Inspiration's just going to come from, from left field and hit you in the face without you really knowing it when, 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 at any point. And it could be really early on in the process where you read the play for the first time and you go, oh, I know it, I know exactly what it's going to be. Or it might not come till like three weeks before the deadline and everyone's pulling their hair out. That must be a bit scary. But, for them. <laughs> I just, you know, you can't cheat it. And you can tell when you're cheating it because you're just wasting a lot of time and a lot of your assistants' time who are getting increasingly frustrated. Um, my assistant David Allen gets like just laughs in my face now whenever I want to start a project by making small buildings. I got really into the idea of using scale, like buildings in and, and as a sort of way into sort of dealing with with design. And it they nearly always get 
like <laughs> cut really early on, or they're like a kind of like like placeholder until an yeah. idea comes. Um, <laughs> And so he sort of rolls his eyes and they make him sort of make St. Paul's Cathedral <laughs> um, But, you know, often they, sometimes it does. It kind of like yeah. goes through and, you, and you, I'll often, well, often just sketch in, in three dimensions with just um, blocks or, you know, vistas and sort of uh, viewfinders and rectangles and things. Um, but really it just, it, 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 it it can it can be any sort of investigation going in any direction and it's especially interesting if the design is one that's that that doesn't really make sense in model form and only makes sense in motion we did a production of Wojtek at the old Vic recently and it was a grid of 25 walls on motors that are identical which actually if you looked at the model you go great I mean that's fine but it actually the, the process was much more about having to imagine things in in motion so it was very hard to sort of research that or sort of capture that in sketches and it's yeah. uh, and that's when the process becomes really interesting when it sort of defies the the, 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 the structure that is in place in a normal sort of creative process did you? I mean, you mentioned before being booted out into the <laughs> professional yeah. world. Did, I didn't graduate. I didn't get chucked yeah. out. <laughs> so we should we should establish. <laughs> but did you feel at that point that you that you found your designing voice? Were you were you kind of in that sense confident that you were already making work that was was yours? Um. Gosh, that's a good question. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think you can be, but that doesn't mean that I wasn't. I, I, I think that looking back retrospectively, when I, as I say, when I went back to my parents and started mm. looking back through my work, I started to see threads retrospectively of things that I was interested in, which mm. one, one can't really see at the time, but when one looks back, you can kind of map out things that have survived through that time and the things that have fallen away and inevitably there are ideas that that repeat and that's often sort of seen as a dirty thing that if you don't sort of treat each new project with like with a completely new um, uh, head but there are inevitably no matter how how diverse you want your work to be um, and how far reaching it's always going to have some genetic code that that lasts through it's hard for me to sort of work out what that is Um, and maybe one shouldn't because as soon as you stare at it in the face I think it's like when a director gives you like a note you've got to really think about how you give that note to an actor because Mm. if you if you give it wrong then they're going to get fixated on it and sort of keep repeating (laughs) this thing that you said was great until it's not great anymore yeah Um, but but yeah I mean I've always sort of been like this none of these are hard and fast rules (laughs) but like I've always been um suspicious of scenery <laughs> um, that isn't consciously scenery I think it's a hard ask sometimes to produce naturalism 
in inverted commas on stage that mm. is that um, uh, doesn't declare itself to be fake. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's not a complete joy and uh, in working in something that is totally realistic and has is full of detail. But I've always sort of been interested in, uh, I guess, sort of uh, how shapes in an abstract sense can um, be populated can populate a, 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 a stage and then one can put people on it and how that can mean something um, colour tone and I've just always in, been interested in how one can make a design uh, read like the play without words and how it can how you c- it can have meaning in in a sculptural sense mm. that that the play puts forward and and then the designer's job is to then sort of take that on and and convey that meaning through other means yeah. um I've always sort of been interested in that i suppose yeah. i've been one of the threads that's come up through some of the other conversations which um as a critic, it's something I've not really thought about enough, I think, is um, the sense of how personal the work is to a designer. And we're really used to thinking about that in terms of writers and and actors, that they'll draw Mm. on their own experiences, they'll bring their stuff Mm. to to a project. But um, I think it's becoming... I'm Mm. finding it very clear that that for designers it's personal too, that, that it's not just... Of course, it's not just an intellectual response to a play, and it's not mm. just a craft response to a task. Yeah, it is very much you know, a good design. Would presumably people who know you well would see you in I sp- the work. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean. Um, yeah, it's it's strange, isn't it? It's sort of another one of those. Um, no nos, which goes along, you know, which is um, like one, one must always say that it's all about the script, <laughs> yes. and one, one must always say that one works collaboratively, and one must always say um, that it only ever comes from within the writing, and I and uh, and, and I and I must always writing, sort of yeah, yeah yeah, and I will like <laughs> lay down in front of it. Um, but I guess yeah, it's all part and parcel of what you were saying that last question, which is that there is. Undeniably, but there's always going to be something that's in your work that comes from within you, and it's. I mean, it all. It, as our collective careers go on, it it would be interesting to go back and really chart that through and see where those things come from. But I think once you're while you're in it doing it, it's it's hard to work out what those things are. I think I've always um, been motivated by by sound actually in music um quite a lot and therefore I suppose you could extrapolate from that that my work is quite emotional um and that I try to think of designs in the same way that a a, a playwright would do that that has dynamics and it has tone and it shifts and it has a beginning a middle and an end and they and it will start somewhere and it will go somewhere else but that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to have scene changes but it it is a thing that's that sort of takes you on this journey um and i think when you think about design in terms of music it's you, you start to unlock something um 
I mean, ironically, I've only done one musical, but, um, which was last year, but um, uh, I, I will always sort of have a playlist of music that I was listening to whilst designing the show and sort of put that forward and um, sometimes offer it to the sound designer or whatever to, to sort of see if they can pull anything from it. And, mm. um, you know, and, I, and I, I grew up playing the piano and writing music and have written music for some shows and, and I and I actually I was sort of doing that before I was designing and mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's probably a a way in there yeah and we you know we've talked about it before but like I you know I, I was in a choir when I was a kid at church and although I'm not remotely religious that has sort of stayed in the sort of root of my identity I guess somehow and the, um, there is something about the kind of regular um, communing together, communing. Can one say that? Yeah. Com- com- congregating. Come on, there we go. Um, <laughs> we can say that too. <laughs> um, that has a you know that that means something to me in the same way that it does at a gig or yeah. a, or a or a or a play. Um, the sense of space, the sense of sense of of event, yeah. um, uh, sense of a play being a sort of living, breathing event that's happening in front of you. Mm. Um, I guess that's all sort of in there. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I can hold off no longer. I have to ask. What is the the the, the, the cherished souvenir of a production that you brought in? Strange thing here. Um, and in fact, how would you how how are we describe it? Okay, so this is. Um, it's strange when you say cherished su- souvenir because this is such a. Uh, uh, difficult show. <laughs> this is a, uh, I guess, a, a wooden carved um, figure with extremely long legs. Four, um, extremely, four extremely long legs yeah. um, resembling some kind of tree. Yeah. Um, this was a model made um, for me by Rachel Wingate, who was my assistant for um, several years when I started out. Um, it's for a production of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, which was at Kensington Gardens. It was um, uh, written and directed um, by Rupert Gould, also directed by Mike Fentiman, and uh, uh, with assistant director Rachel, uh, Rebecca Franknell, um, who I'm going to be working with next year, actually, at the Almeida. Um, it was a big operation and a scary operation, probably at the time that it was certainly the biggest sort of enterprise that I'd taken on. Um, the The project in itself was was very tumultuous and really hard, um, but this object sort of transcends that really because um, I just think sculpturally it's a really lovely thing, and I and I I I keep a lot of furniture and things for um, shows just because they're really useful to use again and again and again. (laughs) I mean, everybody does. Everyone has this sort of like cabinet full of models where you go, well, just put some of those chairs in from that show. Um, And this sort of, this this for me is not, this was made as a demonstration of how one of the figures, these these are tree people on stilts, would look in the space. But it's not your average model in as much as it's not sort of indicative of a piece of set that needs to be made or a piece of furniture. It's essentially a figure in a costume, but it's 
it's just become this sort of sculpture and I think it's a really lovely thing and I and I have it at home on my bookcase with a few other sort of you know mentos um around and I yeah and and Rebecca uh, Rebecca, uh, Rachel was um was a really important part of my um sort of coming into the business really and 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 she did incredible work for me and I'm sort of very fond of this thing that she made and And it's because it's sort of spindly but it's really monumental and it's it's just a very lovely combination of unexpected things isn't it looks like something out of the dark crystal I think (laughs) (laughs) it's got a little bit of Jim Henson in there which I quite love um but yeah no and then and then I you know it's that there were there were I think four of these on stage and then other people wearing sort of two leg stilts but carrying staffs and four trees that sort of flew out of the ground and it was a kind of wonderful moment and I suppose this this does also remind me of that it was a it was a super challenging time and it, it was at Kensington Gardens and so we were sort of in this tent and the the weather when we were teching which we teched for three weeks was just, we nearly like sort of slid away that was so so wet um and uh, and it was it was very difficult and there were lots of technical issues and there were just a lot lot of things going on but you know it's that thing where it just suddenly clicks together and and everything falls into place and and you only really get there through in- incredible sort of um communication throughout your team and yeah. and and resilience and sort of um and support really yeah. Um, is there a stage of the whole process, whether it's the initial, you know, idea and design and thinking about it, or through the rehearsal, or through the, you know, the making all the technical? Is mm. it what's the point, which is the most where you're the happiest? Oh God! <laughs> oh God! Um, this is when the crushing realization happens that you're never happy. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> happy. Um, Oh, I don't know. I think that... Y- Which is not to say, you know, totally satisfied with the work you're doing. Well, that's and, it, isn't it? And, Satisfaction and is sort no, of but, like... But, yeah. you know, but, but really enjoying the, the yeah. process. Or does I that just, not happen? It, it, I honestly... I just think it changes every time, and I think that it's surprising. And, it, and it's the surprise that makes it interesting. It's the, it's the endless sort of variation of, like, when's that point going to kick in? And sometimes it's related to a moment, and sometimes it's related to the idea. Sometimes it's related to getting into the space and seeing it. Sometimes it's not until previews, once it's been in front of an audience, you know that thing you've risked works. Yeah. Um, and often it's down to a person. You know, there have been several projects that I was part of last year when I was working with Rosie L. Nile, who was the um, resident design assistant here, and you would have already spoken to which made me incredibly happy in a part of a process where I would often feel like quite unsure and to be able to sort of work with her in the formative part of those shows was was really fulfilling and really wonderful to to have another sort of creative brain working with me on it um it it just Sometimes it doesn't, you don't get much happier than when you read the script and then you realise you've screwed up the entire rest of the design and, you're like, and nothing's ever going to be better than the, the words that you read at the beginning. But um, I just think if it wasn't varied, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't 
be worth doing. And the yeah. minute you saw, the minute you, uh, and this isn't to say you shouldn't get a grip on it, but the minute you do get a grip on it, it's probably time to start moving on to doing other things. Yeah. Which is what happened in the last few years, and that, and because you, if you start to feel like you're repeating yourself, then then you're either not stretching yourself properly, or you're. Or, or it's time to sort of spread into different areas, I suppose. And you have already started exploring non-theatrical... Dip, dipped my toe in yeah. some <laughs> rather, rather hot water. Um, how has that been? Uh, yeah, great. I mean, it's amazing how... You know, one takes a, a theatre design degree and thinks, OK, I'm really putting all my eggs in this basket, and then you get further on down the line and you realise that all those skills are actually completely transferable into other into other jobs and well not necessarily other jobs the same sort of um, design world but just different sort of facets mm. um, I think with live music it's absolutely transferable and and people especially in pop music are, are looking more and more at people in th who who are educated in theatre design because they understand how to imbue spaces and objects with narrative yeah. and like you know doesn't doesn't take a rocket scientist to work that out why that sort of is a fit with yeah. with with live music um that's Tiana just popping it so low. <laughs> again um, the liveness of the yeah, event live has event been confirmed just happened um <laughs> And I'm finding, you know, doing doing exhibition design is similarly uh, very interesting. You know, you you are you are using your sort of skills as as storyteller to take people on a on a journey without any words, and that's sort of that's the core of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not really a uh, it's not really a, a far reach, to be honest. Um, it is in terms of process and in terms of deadlines and and budgets and protocol, and just sort of shifting those think those you know those pieces around a bit, yeah. and and endless sort of conference calls with seventeen people from LA and London and New York and everyone hesitating yeah. um, and forgetting to press the mute button when they're on a bus, but um, you know which doesn't happen that often in theatre. It's not quite so glamorous, um, but. But no, it's great, and it's great to just sort of see different audiences, different different groups of people respond mm. to to what to what we do. Um, and when you've worked in a totally different world, whether it's you know LA music award glamour mm. madness or uh, exhibition design <laughs> V&A or something, when you kind of come back to the theatre, does it does it is your head in a slightly different place? Are you approaching things slightly differently, or is oh, that's it interesting? It, um, uh, yeah, I guess um, I think you, one feels refreshed and, and revived, and it's it's one can really quickly get into that um, routine of um, the kind of hamster wheel of, of producing designs and starting rehearsals, going through set production, tech week previews, and then next, and then next, and then next, and you sort of get into this rhythm, um, and it's. It's nice to sort of break that, um, and, and just sort of re refresh it. I think that um, maybe I've become more confident in abstract ideas to 
to um, convey meaning, sort of just m like really sort of throwing myself behind um, just using shapes and being bolder essentially, just, yeah. sort of just really throw that out there. Um, but a lot of it is a sort of reinforcement of the idea of how music and sound sort of really support and gi and gi give life to the the worlds that you create. Yeah. And obviously, live music does, but also the exhibition design and um, how you take people people on that journey. Just th those two things sort of come really hand in hand for me, and I think that I've had that reinforced on on this sort of weird journey that I've been on. <laughs> okay, it's now time to take you out of theatres. We're going to yes. leave the theatre. We're going to go into yes. really into the natural world and into the, the, the kind of the wild scale of the natural world on our tree stilts. What? What is, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What is the, the tree? What is the place? What that you brought in? The, and, and um, this is very specific to a moment and a, an image, actually. Um, rather than necessarily the, the the place itself, this is a, a photo. Um, at Yosemite National Park. This was in 2015. Um, I've always sort of been quite a homebody, I suppose. Re relatively reluctant flyer. Let's put it like that. <laughs> um, and I haven't travelled a great deal in my in my life. Um, obviously through some holidays and stuff as I was sort of growing up but um, once I kind of hit my work stride from 2007 I like I haven't often given myself the time to get away and where I've gone has been dictated by my work I suppose um, and so this was from 2015 um, I just finished working uh, on the the VMAs, which was in LA, which was a massive, massive leap, quite intimidating and daunting thing. Um, it was also a pretty difficult time in my life and, and, and the work was getting quite full on and the, and the home life was, was sort of dead in the water, I suppose. <laughs> Um, but um, it was a real sort of like moment of a wake up call to kind of make sure that one like balances out that diary really really well mm. um, and so I sort of finished this this huge show and I um, met someone in LA who has become like a dear dear friend to me um, and he uh, as a photographer and um, a few days after I finished the, the, the project he said right where, where should we go we're going to go tomorrow where, should, where do you want to go and it was here here or here it was a list of a few places and I was like oh let's just go to Yosemite he said fine and he rented a car and we booked a place to go and we drove up the next day um, incredibly impromptu thing <laughs> and had six hours of just driving dead straight all the way um, in which we sort of unpacked our lives and talked about everything on the, you know it's incredibly therapeutic yeah. and we got there and it was at the time of the forest fires there were there were quite a lot of fires coming through the the, the, um, the forest mm -hmm. not like 
very near us, but, but pretty near. And so it was just weird. There was hardly anybody around, and um, and it was just this really thick air. So everything looked sort of incredible in photos. There was there it was just very dense and moody, and you could smell it. You had your own dry eyes, kind of to yeah, hand. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. People spend thousands trying to recreate that on stage. Um, you know, in sore eyes and just sort yeah. of you know. Um, and this is just a photo of, that, that he took of me sort of facing this huge mountain behind which all these fires were blazing out of sight. Um, and it's just become one of those things that I look at and I look at that point in my life and I look at that sort of change that then happened pretty much in that moment, at, at least that summer for me, where, where I kind of woke up and said, and said you know, you just can't forget yourself in the process of making work mm -hmm. and no matter how much you achieve or how quickly you achieve it or how high you prize your work it you're only going to get so far and hit a ceiling unless you really look after yourself mm -hmm. and and nurture um your 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 home life and your health and your friendships and your travelling and um and and to, to really takes us back to the very beginning of this conversation that sense that that every aspect of your work and your life as a designer is something that you're kind of responsible for yourself there's no one who's going to do this stuff for you if you don't do it right yeah yeah and also yeah that's true and and you know it, a huge amount of people are reliant on you doing thing, doing that work in in the in the, the 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 group of people that are making these shows. You know, it's sometimes you go home and you think, oh, I've answered answered so many questions today. I just can't I can't believe it. You've given <laughs> a verdict on on so many things that you're just sort of bursting, yeah. like you 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 know. More views on scatter cushions than you ever. I know, realized. just the really, you just really don't want to be important. Like, sorry, can you just choose between these flowers or these flowers? Like, oh God, um, paper props. No, um, and I think, I think it's a it's a job that one has to push very hard for to 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 to, to progress, um, and. And I and I see a lot of designers around me doing the same, and and uh, and I see a lot of young designers, you know, do, doing incredible work, but but um, for, like forgetting sometimes that they they are a human being, and and there is only so much one can take before sort of saturation point, and and it, yeah, it's just sort of um, ma managing that balance. Have you got better at it? Since I was so in? infinitely better at it. Like, I mean, I was, you know, obviously, like, being busy is being busy, but yeah. one can be busy if one also, you know, ensures that at that point in the evening I'm going to stop work and I'm going to go and do this and I'm just and you and and I'm not going to allow that to spill into that extra time that I that I um, would normally work in. I, I I think it's a difficult job in the sense that. 
it's it's born out of a lot of people's hobbies. You know, you would go to school and you do maths, you do PE, you do your home ec or whatever, and you'd learn how to cook some, you know, Cornish pasties or whatever, and then you'd go home and you'd sketch or you'd, you know, I don't know, like build something or write some music or something and it or do some writing, whatever. Mm. Like it's sort of a creative um extracurricular enterprise and, the idea and then that, you hook yeah. onto that and you go I want to do that as my job yeah. and or you can even go and see a show of course and then you know you you hook onto that because it's your sort of safe place yeah. <laughs> and then it's your profession and so you need to find new downtime because yeah. otherwise you sort of just go home and and, and you know I, I've lived with a lot of designers and in the past and we all just go home and do costume drawings in front of TV or like you know someone will be cooking and you'd be like model making a chair in front of like X Factor or something and because there is no real off switch and you can work from home Mm. Um, and it's you really really have to fight very hard to kind of condition yourself to to kick against that Um, because you cannot keep outputting like one has to make sure that stuff is going in in order for the inspiration least of all to come and you know obviously you need to keep your physical sort of engine going as well um so yeah so that i mean that was a moment of of great friendship and 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 a and a big awakening in terms of what direction i sort of wanted to ultimately sort of take my life um yeah <laughs> deep <laughs> okay Tom I'm going to do my bit for your work life balance by, okay. by stopping the conversation <laughs> and letting you out of this small hot room and this interrogation but um, thank you so much it's thank been you. an absolute joy thank thanks you. You've been listening to the Donmar on Design podcast series. Visit donmarwarehouse.com to find more podcasts with world-class theatre makers.